Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 31 of No Meat Athlete Radio. This is Matt Frazier along with my co-host Doug Hay and our second episode in the span of only a week, which is uh, a first for us, I believe. Anyway, Doug, it feels good to be back and doing a regular episode after some travel for both of us, actually. Sure does, yeah. I'm really excited for this. It's going to be fun talking and catching up and uh, kicking off our new weekly podcast routine. Yeah, we hope. We hope... Let's say weekly for now. Maybe we'll even have more than that every once in a while, but for now we'll shoot for weekly. Um, And that will be good. I'm excited about that. And I'm also excited about this episode. This is one that I have been actually looking forward to for a while because uh, I'm really excited about this new diet that we have started. My, My wife and I, since the Woodstock Fruit Festival, which I think I mentioned on the podcast a few times, it's a thing that Michael Arnstein and a bunch of others put on focused around a fruit-based diet, uh, which is really interesting, all raw and known as 80-10-10 or fruitarian. So I'm not all the way on board yet, but it is exciting, and we are feeling really good on it. So I'm I'm pumped to talk about that a little bit. Uh, the only things to mention before we get into that are actually two important things. Um, number one, we launched the 5K roadmap, which kind of completes the roadmap series, assuming that we don't put out an ultramarathon roadmap. And uh, what that is is the guide to your first 5K on a plant-based diet. It's really our first beginner product. Everything else has been either triathlon, half marathon, or marathon. So um, this is this is I'm hoping something that's going to appeal to a lot more people, a, a broader base than just the, the more advanced runners. So I'm excited about that. And on Monday, September 8th, or through Monday, September 8th, I should say, we've got a really good deal going on it um it ends on monday or at the end of the day on monday but it it includes until then for a really low price uh, a bunch of audio bonuses i think like four hours of audio stuff a bunch of stuff from the no meat athlete academy actually which is our much more premium audio product where we go in depth with experts each month um so anyway it's it's a good offer check it out it's at www.nomeatathlete.com slash 5k dash roadmap and the other thing to mention which is kind of just in its infancy right now, is No Meat Athlete Running Groups. I sent out an email to the newsletter, so if you're on that list, then you would have gotten that email. But basically asking people who was interested in starting a a plant-based running group around the country, uh, because it's been something I've just wanted to do forever, and uh, was really overwhelmed by the responses. We got something like, I mean, I think it's like 1,100 and counting right now, with three to 400 of those people basically saying that they were willing to, to either lead these groups or just help get them off the ground. So I was really blown away by the enthusiasm, and uh, that's really exciting. So nothing really to uh, to tell you where to go to find that yet, but just kind of wanted to give you a heads up to sort of be on the lookout for that information coming soon. Yeah, I think that um, you know running together with a group of like-minded people and really training together is just going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be fun to meet new no meet athletes and, and, and start our training together. Yeah, it is fun, and it's it's something that's overdue because, as you know, whenever we go to one of these veg fests, and we've started to do a lot more of those. I think we've done, I think we did five this summer, and then um, I will be at the DC Veg Fest in actually just I guess two weeks from the time when this podcast goes live. Uh, that's September twentieth, by the way. 
Um, whenever we go to those things, regardless of where we are, people come up to the table and basically assume that, that what we are is a local running group. And they say, oh, so when do you guys run? Where do you meet? And every time it's been like, ah, we don't actually do that. It's an online thing. So it's it's going to be really good to say, yes, we have a group here now. And, uh, you know, hopefully by in two weeks from now, I think the DC group will be up and running. So that, that would be awesome. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into the bulk of this call. And also, Doug, we didn't mention yet that you also did a little trip of your own, uh, sort of near when I was, actually while I was at the Fruit Festival, uh, one of these crazy trips where you go somewhere and, and run for three days in the in the <laughs> woods or the mountains or whatever it was. So we'll definitely get into that. Uh, where where exactly was that this year? That yeah, was in, in Colorado. We were based out of Vail and did a a couple of different big days in different places in Colorado. Got in what eighty eighty miles or so? Yeah, we got twenty two in the first day, eighteen the second, and twenty eight the third. So whatever that equals. whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, that is. Uh, I'm I'm always interested to hear about those things, and and yet somehow I, they just seem like I feel like my long run day. If I had to go run. 25 miles i would be like this day kind of sucks because i have to go run 25 miles today <laughs> and like when it's race day i can i can do it or if i'm training for a big race and this is the last big run before that race then i can do it but then but three days in a row where it's also mountains and it's also you're just doing it to do it i'm i'm not quite i'm not there as a runner yet i don't know maybe well, not it's all about the experience man it's all about you know not being there as a runner necessarily, or not like the the big end goal like you have with a race, but it was, it was just really cool exploring these mountains and um, having just these epic days that we were wiped out by the end. But you know, because we were in Colorado, there are typically storms that uh, electrical storms that roll in in the evening, so you really have to finish pretty early. So we were starting at like six a.m. We'd be done by you know four, three or four, and then we'd be in the hot tub drinking a beer and and swapping stories about the day. So it was you know. It was, <laughs> It was a lot of fun. You had plenty of time to recover, or I guess I get the it. evening to recover. And uh, okay, I don't know. so it's fun in the same way that like a road trip is fun, where like no one actually has fun driving or sitting in a car. But then <laughs> when you look back on it, you know, a few years from now, it's like ah, that was kind of fun that we did that road trip together, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I had, I think I had a little more fun than I would have had at a road trip. But <laughs> all right. Anyway, well. What we did that week while you were there was the Woodstock Fruit Festival, as I mentioned, and uh, I was a special guest there, not a uh, a pioneer, the different classes. Pioneers are like the the big-time, 100% raw people who are the literally the pioneers of the movement. Uh, Dr. Doug Graham is one of them. He's the author of the 801010 book. Mike Arnstein, of course, and his wife, uh, a bunch of other people. I mean, I don't know all the names, but a, a guy who does bodybuilding on a fully raw fruit-based diet and I mean, a big wide variety oh the the two people who ran around australia the elderly couple i think they're about 70 years old and they ran around australia i think it was a marathon a day for i believe 266 days i could be wrong it could be 366 but i think it was 266 and they did it in five fingers as well <laughs> and they're fully raw 70 years old and you know, going around Australia in barefoot shoes, which is just incredible that they did that. I'm definitely not there as a runner. That, that seems way more. <laughs> well, that I, I can understand that because then it's like you 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 have a, something you're trying to do, and I guess you I guess with the mountains you're doing something. But anyway, um, so a, a lot of neat people. Uh, Robert Lockhart is one big handstand guy, big inversion guy, raw. He says he's also 70 years old, but looks like he's 
50. Uh, anyway, really neat thing. And all I did, what I did was not speak about raw diet or anything, since I'm not a, a raw dieter, but spoke about <clears throat> just the idea of building a brand around a healthy lifestyle. And uh, it was fun. It was a good thing. I led led one run. was supposed to lead two, but we had lots of rain on the last two days out of the six we were there. So the second run got washed out. Uh, but it's some fun stuff. Like, you know, there was lots of outdoor. It was at a summer camp. So there was a beach, a lakefront type of beach. Um, oh, I didn't mention Tim Van Orden. Tim Van Orden is a pretty well-known raw athlete. And on my run, he rode his bike around with me, which was really cool. And then, the I don't know, 20 people we had with us. But uh, I talked to him a lot. He was really interesting. And I got an audio book from him and some other stuff. He was he was one of the highlights of the whole thing for me. But anyway, um, there was lots of just outdoor stuff. There was a high ropes course where you climb a wall and then do a zip line and those elements. And I, that was really, really fun. I had a great time with that stuff. And my kids were there too. They did the typical, or my son at least, the four-year-old, did typical camp kid stuff. He also did the wall climbing and all sorts of fun. So it was a really, really fun weekend camping outside, pretty good weather. Two days weren't good, but uh, the what made it interesting, of course, was the food. So when we were there, you you don't eat, you you basically eat this diet. There's there's no coffee there, there's no beer or other alcohol there. I don't know that anybody even brought it in. They basically said you don't have to eat this way the entire time. Like if you want to bring your own stuff in. Uh, I mean, you could tell it was sort of discouraged by the way they worded it, but you could, but it was like, please be, um, whatever the word is. Mindful. Yeah, mindful. Do it inconspicuously so that people just aren't seeing and and you're not kind of ruining this experience. Because I guess theoretically, I mean, like we were, we were there trying this new thing and two days, three days into it, it was kind of hard to do. It was like, I really would like a nice IPA now or like coffee (laughs) when I wake up. So had somebody else had that, it would have been sort of tempting or sort of like made it much more difficult for me. So the idea was, you know, respect what everyone else was trying to do. Do you think that most people were already raw foodies or were they, you know, kind of like you and and trying it out? I was, I was surprised at how many weren't yet raw people because this thing, it was not cheap. It was, we went for free because I was a special guest, but it was like a thousand or 1200 for a week for a family and, or for a, a person. And I think the kids were a little bit cheaper. They might have been 800 or so each. But uh, it goes for two weeks, but we just went for one. But So I just figured at that price, there would be a lot more really committed raw people. And there were plenty of them. But I was surprised at how many people I talked to who just said, like, yeah, I'm I'm vegan, but not yet raw. And I try to eat high raw. And, I was, you know, my answer was kind of the same. I was like, well, we eat a lot of raw food. We eat salads and fruits like anybody else, probably more than anybody else. Um, but we're not by any means committed to it and we, I mean, we had never even really gone a raw day in our lives before this except for you know doing a little juice fast tests and things like that and trying stuff out yeah it, i mean you know i understand why people would go it sounds like a lot of fun it sounds like adult summer camp and you know what could be more fun than doing that with a bunch of, of people that you get along with it was that and if you're at all a serious runner and that was like there were a lot of serious athletes there like a bunch of college guys from out west who came and you could tell they were they were i mean i i imagine they were great runners they, they looked like real runners and they talked about running for their schools and all that so i don't know what kind of times they run or anything but if you were a serious runner i mean like one of the days it was it was mike arnstein did a run and it might have been a rainy day and there was like a few people showed up for it so if you wanted to go run with michael arnstein who's who's a 225 marathoner i think and has run 100 miles under 13 hours one of the fastest times by an american ever you could just go run with the guy. And one time he, he was doing like a little 
I don't know, Q&A session. And he did a bunch of these things, so which is why they weren't all super attended. But like one was just like a Q&A session. We just sat on the edge of this dock, and it was me and four other people and just kind of chatted with him for an hour. <laughs> so it was like if you wanted this experience to get up close with someone like that, um, if you were a serious runner, I mean, you know, you can you can see why people would, would do it. It was really fun, like you said, an adult summer camp type of thing. Yeah, that's very cool. But what I want to hear more about is, uh, you know, I have so many questions about your experience with this new diet and, and, you know, how it made you feel and what you're doing now. Right. So I did not go to this thing planning to buy into the diet. I was like this. I mean, because first of all, this is not just raw. Raw includes lots of nuts and seeds and, you know, you see raw people. Like if you go in Whole, Whole Foods and you see the raw food section, there's all these raw crackers and a lot of things that seem like regular food but they're just raw so plenty of nut and seed crackers and things like that this diet and it's basically the 80 10 10 diet uh, also known as fruitarian but i found out that mike arnstein only came to this diet when he read the 80 10 10 book before that he was just into a bunch of stuff macrobiotic trying all different diets per, for, for performance uh then one day his his wife recommended this book to him i think it was in 2006 or maybe 2008 and uh, he, he read it and just kind of bought it right away but anyway, so this is just entirely raw fruits and vegetables. Like there's there's nothing else. You can eat the nuts and seeds, and I think eighty ten ten he encourages you to have. Well, I mean, of course, he says ten percent of your calories from fat. And the way one easy way to get ten percent of your calories from fat, uh, maybe I don't know the word easy correctly here, but is to eat just raw fruits and vegetables during the day, and then at nighttime, eat you know some the equivalent of a tablespoon of olive oil to your diet and that's going to get you roughly 10 percent of your calories if you're on like a you know i'm sorry yes so the tablespoon of olive oil is going to be like 130 calories raw fruits and vegetables generally have five percent or so of their calories coming from fat already so when you combine that with the 130 calories of fat from a tablespoon of olive oil you get 10 percent of your diet if you're eating this 2500 calorie range of course, a tablespoon of olive oil is not the way to really do it because it's more about whole foods and things like that. So you would eat some nuts or some avocado at dinner. But it's very little of that stuff. Um, so anyway, it, we started it, and like I said, at first it was sort of hard. It was like there's no salt on anything. So it was kind of weird, and it was just like we're not used to eating fruit meals. And as I was saying to you earlier, actually, it's like you can't take in a lot of calories in a single bite with a fruit meal like because – most of the food people eat, but even just for vegans who are mostly whole food vegans, um, the food is more concentrated than what raw fruits and vegetables are. There are just there are more high calorie foods in there. Whether you're cooking with oil or whether you're just eating some nuts and seeds, you're you have more calories per bite. So your stomach gets full before you've really taken in a whole lot of calories, uh, and that made it difficult for us to really eat enough and feel like good and nourished. But after about three, maybe on the fourth day of it we really just like started to turn this corner and it was weird because we like it was watermelon and cantaloupes and orange juice for the breakfast every day uh maybe they had honeydew melon sometimes and after two days of that we were like i i can't eat the same breakfast tomorrow it's just we've had too many melons and i don't i don't eat melons at home but by the fourth day i think we woke up and we we're like i can't wait to go get that watermelon it's been <laughs> so good and like so we went and and had it and then like really since then it's been it just stuck really, really well. So we're we're not doing it all the way right now. We started, we came home, started doing it until we did like it's called raw till four, and we basically did this this fruitarian eighty ten ten until dinner time was our basic plan. But uh, I've kind of I've kind of 
pushed it a little bit further and, and for you know three out of the four nights this week we've been entirely raw for the whole day really um and i think one or two days we've done just you know a, a kind of a light low fat dinner so uh it's it's really fun and i feel great about it which i'm happy to happy to get into if you want yeah i'd love to hear all that but I'd, <laughs> one question about the the meals at the at the festival are there distinct breakfasts and lunches and dinners like for me i think that'd be hard if i was just eating you know the same melons for every meal so breakfast was the only meal that was kind of the same every time every time it was they had these orange juice machines that just were constantly processing fresh oranges and they would the machine slices it and and then squeeze it so there was unlimited orange juice during certain hours and apparently that's that's kind of acceptable. Like other juices aren't recommended by Dr. Graham, who, who wrote the eighty ten ten diet book. Why not? Um, just because they're you're separating the fruit or the juice from the from the fiber, so that fiber serves to slow the absorption and kind of regulate the blood sugar spikes and things like that. So when you're separating it, then you get into what the common challenges with the diet. When people say, well, oh, that must just do crazy things to your blood sugar. All oh, that sugar. And at least according to 801010, the book, uh, having the fiber in there, and if you're not eating a, a lot of fat, that kind of regulates the whole thing. So most juice is off limits, but because so much pulp comes through in citrus juice, then it's that's okay. Gotcha. So the other meals, though, were not standard. It was, I mean, there was this amazing just buffet of fruit most lunches. There would be a bunch of dates, um all kinds of different I'm blanking on all the names now uh, lychee berries which are which are like I don't know these round things that you peel the things called dragon's eye which are these other round things that you peel there was more watermelon for lunch there were lots and lots of half um, romaine lettuce hearts that were there you could just go eat those um, peaches tangerines clementines I'm just every lunch had this variety of stuff available and you could you could pick and get different things each day. I've kind of learned since then about this idea of, of mono meals where you eat just one food for each meal. So like just a watermelon for lunch, for example, would be a good example. Or a, a smoothie that's made out of six or eight bananas and 16 ounces of water, and you blend that up. And that's a pretty filling breakfast or lunch. But it's just one food, and the idea is that in nature, if you were, you know, if you were a forager type, you would find one food at a time. Generally, you'd, you'd stumble upon a grove of fruit trees, and you would eat that one fruit until you were full, and then you'd move on. And then later in the day, you'd hopefully find another meal and, and do the exact same thing. There would be no combining of foods to get the flavors just right, and all this stuff that has kind of come along since since we've gotten uh, rich as a society and cooking has come along. So, and also for for digestion, it's kind of like that having just one food in there, just one thing for your body to do. It's it's much easier, and that's really been the big benefit we've noticed is that I feel like I when I wake up these days um, I've had a few days where where my sleep has not been good for whatever reason perhaps because of this crazy diet I'm doing <laughs> but um, when I wake up and I've had like uh, the first time we noticed was while we were camping actually we had these awful nights where there was just really little sleep during rain and the kids camping you know and woke up and we thought it was just going to be like you just not be able to function type of day where like this is just going to be the worst day of my life right and we both were like we kind of pointed out to each other like wow we feel actually fine and that's happened since then i had another bad night of sleep uh, and noticed exactly that same thing it's it's interesting I, I i feel like i'm sounding like i've just sort of like bought into this whole thing and i really haven't i'm trying very hard <laughs> to like remain skeptical and and the book i'm mean, reading the 801010 book was interesting it had a lot of really 
compelling arguments to me, but I feel like there's just there's so little data and studies about people eating this way. So that that's a little bit concerning. Mike Arnstein's case is, of course, exciting. I mean, what he's done, the way he improved, because he was like, a I think, a 250 or 245 marathoner until he started eating this way. And he basically, you know, credits this diet with, with all the success he's had. He just thinks this is, he said he was like a, in high school, he was a an okay regional runner. wasn't like a, the best in anything and has only become the best, has only become someone who wins races since he started eating this way. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting to me. I went to one of his talks about it and um, yeah, just, I mean, I don't know. It, it's been, it's really fun. The thing is like, I'm, I know that I'm, I'm saying that how we feel great and everything. I do realize that if you just if almost anybody switches diets to a new diet, um, you're going to feel often pretty good because you know your body has stored up kind of the nutrients that you are getting plentifully in your current diet for the most part. Not everything can you store up, but certain things you do. And then when you switch, you can you know you can kind of still rely on those stores while you're now getting all these other things that perhaps you haven't been getting. So when you switch diets, there's often kind of a honeymoon period where everyone feels great right when they start a new diet. So We've been doing this for two weeks now, so very easily could be that sort of thing, uh, and I'm totally willing to admit that. I'm, I am not, you know, I have no like agenda here. I haven't bought into this. I don't, I don't care per se if this diet does well or ends up a big failure. Um, I'm doing it because it seemed really exciting to try and and fun. So hopefully that, uh, I don't know, makes me sound less like a like an evangelist here. Yeah, no, no, it does. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, well, I'd like to break down your meals because I'm really curious about this. So. You you said you they offered a romaine lettuce. So I assume you're eating greens as well. Um, but other than that, is it just fruit and greens? Are you eating any other vegetables? And and what's what's the deal with that? You you said probably no avocado, right? So why not avocado? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so avocado is is fatty as a vegetable or as a fruit. It's right. technically a fruit because it has a seed in it. Um, and that's the big thing there. Like ten percent fat when when you assume that regular fruits and vegetables that you're eating throughout the day already has 5% of its calories coming from fat, then basically what you have is 5% of your daily calories to work with for what are called overt fats in this book, which is fats that are like obviously fats because they're nuts or they're fatty fruit like avocado. Um, and that's such a small amount. It's just it's just hard to eat that little without really trying. Like I think a lot of people think they don't eat that much fat, but you know, it, it turns out to be very easy to get up to 20% without even thinking about it. I right. Mean, I mean, traditionally, it. you're aiming for about 20%, right? Yeah. Like on a typical plant-based athletic diet, you're probably in that 20% range. Paleo people are going to be different. They're probably eating, I don't know, maybe 30% fat. Um, but yeah, if you're eating 70% of your calories from carbohydrate, 15% from protein, 15 from fat, that might be pretty typical. Um, so 80-10-10 is more extreme, and it's a, it's a big difference from 70-15-15 to 80-10-10. I think it's much more restrictive in terms of fat. Uh, so anyway, you said, what were we eating, basically? Like, why not the other vegetables, right? Yeah, or even <laughs> now, you know, what what are you what are you eating? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, like, typical day, what I've done this week is in the morning, we, we really got, like, into mangoes somehow. <laughs> I don't know. We My wife and I both all of a sudden got this weird like mango obsession where we just kind of crave them (laughs) and i guess it's because like all of a sudden it has always felt like weird like to eat two mangoes at a time like if you did that it would be like why are you doing that like why like those are it's a lot of acid i would think that that would (laughs) right right and it's just a lot of sugar and it would just it seems and it seems weird to eat more than one banana at a time much less six it's just it's just strange so once i don't know once it feels like 
like the parents are gone, like we can do whatever we want and we can eat all the mangoes we want. It was like, why not just eat three of them in one sitting? And they're delicious. And we just like woke up a couple mornings just craving mangoes and then I had to run to the grocery store to get them. So mangoes have been a big one. Uh, the banana smoothie that I mentioned is a really easy one. It makes it easy to get a lot of calories. Um, I don't know. I don't know if this diet, I mean, he, he recommends it for weight loss, Dr. Graham in the book. It seems like it would be a strange thing i mean just to start to eat six bananas in your in your smoothie but uh i don't know i guess the idea here is that like it, it's as i said because the, they're not really calorically dense it's it's just not that easy to eat much more than that like that that's kind of filling and that's probably not that many. i think each banana is i think 100 calories or so so that's not a huge breakfast if that's your if you're eating a six banana smoothie for your breakfast 600 calories yeah is it i don't know i don't know yeah so so if you ate 600 for breakfast 600 for lunch and then 800 for dinner you'd be at yeah. 2200 so no 2000 so anyway um it's so well hold on back ahead. back to weight loss have you Go lost ahead. weight on, on this yes i have lost weight which is a problem i don't want to lose any more weight um i think i've probably lost four or five pounds since that my wife has lost weight and she's thrilled about that because you know women often want to lose weight and men <laughs> often don't i mean most men listening to this are probably the type of men who don't want to lose weight um at least more than Typical, because I know, I mean, you know, the typical average male is this big overweight guy, but I think our listeners are probably somewhat, um, just tend towards being more fit. Still, nothing, I mean, I'm, no judgment for someone who's overweight listening to this, of course. But, uh, but yeah, that is a problem for me. And that's kind of a warning. Like he said, it's these, it's hard to take in enough calories at first because we're so used to eating these concentrated foods, like even cooked foods. Then you're cooking the water out of the food. So suddenly each bite, when there's no water in it, it's concentrated. So it fills your stomach more, and basically until your stomach stretches out to where it should be, according to the book, um, it makes it hard to eat enough calories. So that's why you see these raw people online who are eating 12 bananas at a time or the 30 bananas a day thing, where that's literally all you eat. They call it Banana Island. where you uh, It's called you go for 30 days, just 30 bananas a day. And, I mean, that seems weird to me. But a lot of people said they did it. Well, but so I, I actually, the raw diet seems weird. No, the, the yeah, I, I know it does. The whole thing extreme, does. Right? Yeah. It totally does. Um, before I forget, listen to Mike Arnstein. Everybody here probably is, is a podcast listener besides just ours. But listen to the Ultra Runner podcast and uh, Mike Arnstein's episode on there. I think the, I think the title of the episode is called Mike Fruitarian Arnstein. And it's it's not scientific. I mean, his, his whole thing is basically – the proof that this diet works is like, look at me, like, look what I've been able to do and look how well this works for me. And that's, that doesn't work for most people. That's not a scientific argument. But if you listen to that, you will, you will hear him argue in that way. And it's, it's just really compelling. I don't know that the whole premise behind the diet is if there were no cooking, like let's, let's say this was, you know, 200,000 years ago and there's no cooking and you are roaming around the earth trying to find food to eat. What do you eat? What's appealing to you? And this is the whole point in the beginning. Is like when he's trying to argue that we are not meant to be, first of all, meat eaters, but then we're not even meant, he says, to be vegetable eaters. And when I say he here, I'm not talking about Arnstein. I'm talking about Dr. Graham. Um, if you were just roaming around nature, he says most people would not, first of all, would not be interested in eating animals. Like he says the smell of animals to most people is, is not very good. It, it does not, like a, a live animal next to you, when you smell it, it doesn't stir up your appetite. It doesn't make you start salivating and saying, I want to eat that. Um, only the cooking really has added that side of it. 
And he said, similarly, with a lot of the vegetables that we eat, like the look at cauliflower, for example, which like is, is kind of a, it's, it's not easy to chew. It takes a long time to, to chew and uh, digest, of course, too. But that's not, I guess, as a, as a forager, hunter-gatherer type, you wouldn't be thinking about how long does it take to digest. But, I mean, it's just, it's just not really an appealing food. It doesn't taste particularly good. Maybe if you've had it a whole lot and you kind of got used to eating it cooked, and then you go back to it raw and you can kind of tolerate the flavor, especially if it's dipped in something, which no, <laughs> no forager would be doing. Um, so, and the, the one thing that ends up being like, yes, that would be appealing almost all the time is fruit. And then another kind of uh, central part of this whole argument is that, and I don't know anything about the validity of this, but is that most of our evolution as a species happened in the tropics. So you have all these tropical fruits and then people say like, well then, well, how can you kind of justify eating bananas and coconuts and all these high calorie things that, that aren't really anywhere near where most people live? The idea is that we, that we evolved in the tropics and that what our, our bodies are meant to do. And then kind of on that same note, um, the, I had read a long time ago, looked this up a long time ago when I first started to hear about raw diets and I just kind of Googled like, have we had time to evolve since cooking came about and has our, have our bodies changed to, to kind of, uh, you know, allow cooked food to be digested. And the answer that I got then, which I don't I have no idea where I found it. It could have been Wikipedia was yes, we've had enough time to evolve since then. Um, but the, the whole, and I think, I think cooking happened 200,000 years ago and agriculture 10,000. So one of the arguments is that if we didn't really start relying on cooking until 10,000 years ago, then we certainly haven't had time to evolve because that's when all the agriculture and things started and we started having grain and all this other stuff. But the other one where even if you don't, even if you're talking about 200,000 years ago, you still have all these hundreds of thousands of years of the human body developing, the entire digestive system developing for raw food. And then, yes, maybe now some changes have happened on top of that that make cooked food acceptable. But but the argument here is that the whole system is designed for the raw food. It, we haven't had changes like that where our entire digestive system just changed around. It's kind of like we've made an exception for the cooked food in some way uh, when we're really designed for this raw stuff. So, again, I'm not trying to say this is, the, this is the truth or this is the case. I don't have any idea. I've been doing this for two weeks, and it's really fun, and I feel very energetic and even my mental state has kind of changed i feel like i'm just sort of more enthusiastic have started thinking about running and signing up for another hundred perhaps from listening to mike arnstein talk i will admit that as well <laughs> um but anyway I'm, ha I'm having really a lot of fun but i have no idea how this is going to be in a month or or what yeah yeah well, i definitely want to see what you're or i'm curious to see what happens over the next few weeks and and hear all about that but you know, a couple more questions that I know that I had that I'm sure other people will have is, it, this has to be expensive. If you're ordering all these bananas and all these other fruit, this has to be more expensive than, than your other diet, I would think. It it has to be more expensive than a typical diet. Um, but I think our diet already was expensive. Like, we probably already were spending $400 a week on groceries. If we were careful and good, we could do it with, with 250 a week. But, you know, it, it's – I don't think – I think most times we were probably in the 300 range per week. And we don't go out to eat much or anything like that. I mean, very little do we do that stuff. Uh, but, you know, if you think about it, it's it's all of a sudden I'm not buying these $15 bags of coffee because I haven't had coffee now in, in two weeks. I had it for like three days after I got out of the festival because I was just dying for it. <laughs> and interestingly enough, this is kind of a, a side note here. 
But I, I kind of uh, weaned off of it coming into the festival. Not much of a weaning period. I, I couldn't really do much. So I was like, <laughs> four days before it, I had a full cup. Three days before it, I had three quarters of a cup. <laughs> then I did a half cup, then a quarter cup. So it actually kind of worked. And I had a few mild headaches on like the second and third day of the festival. But anyway, when I got out of it, I was like, I'm going to have a cup of coffee. Because I didn't really feel like I was committed to this thing yet. And had coffee for three days while I was still traveling before I got back home to Asheville. And then said, you know what, I'm going to actually try to do this diet and take it seriously. And I'm not going to just go back to drinking coffee every day. Like, what a good opportunity. What better opportunity than now when I haven't been drinking coffee to actually just stop for a while and see what happens. And I got terrible headaches then. Like, they were Hmm. awful three days after that. Like, splitting headache. And I went to bed at 8 o'clock at night because I just couldn't stand it anymore. Wow. It was so weird that three days of, of caffeine being back on it would would bring that on. And this is a one twelve cup one twelve ounce Starbucks cup per day for those three days brought all that back. So I don't know. That that also sort of scared me off of coffee. During those three days did you eat raw? Or raw before four? Yes. Okay. Yes. I didn't take any breaks from raw before four. That was something I just kinda kept doing. Uh not not really having didn't commit to it. I just felt like I didn't want to break the streak. It was like feeling really good. And uh, I think I ate some pizza. Oh, I went to the Bethlehem Veg Fest to exhibit and ate some pizza there at like 4.30 or something on the first day out. And it was good, but it wasn't – I don't know. It was just different. Like after being kind of immersed in that for a whole week, I was used to it, and it, and I really was enjoying it. So anyway, back to the question about cost. Um, I don't think it's any more than what we were spending before. Like, So I mentioned the six banana smoothie. If you don't get organic stuff, and that would also drive your price way up if you're getting all organic stuff. Um, and we're still into a regular grocery store. A lot of people who do this, like Arnstein, go to wholesalers. And he says he drives a van up to a wholesaler and just loads it up with watermelons and bananas, crates, and everything else. We're still at red, regular grocery stores. and But like a a pound of um, non- or, or conventionally grown bananas is like 55 cents. So you can get that, that meal that has six or eight bananas in it. That's a dollar. So right. I can eat breakfast or lunch. One of those meals can cost a dollar. And then if I buy a watermelon that costs $4, which most of them are around here, 4 to $5, and I can have half of that be my lunch, then that's that's still a fairly cheap lunch. So these the mono meal idea also kind of helps with that, I think, in some way. Maybe just because there's less waste. But it seems, it feels like it's not – it doesn't cost that much money to eat a cantaloupe or to eat – and you can if you can make that your meal, then maybe you have to have five of those meals instead of three. But – it's just it's not all that much. If you're going if you're going for organic, then definitely, and there's going to be some serious costs in there. And we will need to figure out if we if we keep this up, the wholesaler thing, how to find a wholesaler and go do it that way, because that would certainly be cheaper. Mangoes are dollar fifty each. That's not really bad. Um, I've been drinking less beer. Going out is now not an option. So that's I mean the social component of this sucks. Basically, you can't <laughs> you just can't go out to eat. But what you can do, and we did when Jeff Sanders when we went to see him in Tennessee. Remember we went out to the bar and he. With the bar, of course, is not eighty ten ten approved, but he brought a sixth thing of bananas with him, a bunch of bananas right. to just eat. And I don't even know if he ate them or not, but so I guess you can still be social and just kind of bring that stuff out. <laughs> You're weird. But you know what? When we went first went vegan, before we went vegan, I remember saying I could never actually go vegan because that would just ruin my social thing. You can't go right. out to eat anymore. Right. You can't go eat at family. And you, then you make it work, and no one cares after you've told them what you're doing. So... I don't know. It's it's not been hard, and it's still novel enough that it's just really fun, and it's it's no problem to eat bananas before we go to a party. And actually, because we're doing the Rato Four thing, like tomorrow we're going to a neighborhood party, and there's going to be tacos there, and they're vegan tacos. But 
that's fine. We're going to go there, and I'll probably have two beers, and that, that makes it so much easier. But I think anyone who's really serious about the diet would say that that is not at all the diet, and, like, eating that meal kind of ruins the rest of it. Right. So it's, it's easy at this stage, but I haven't gotten fully into it to the point where, like, and I don't think I ever will, honestly, get to the point where I'm where if I'm going out to eat, I'm not going to make an exception and just buy a cooked vegan meal. Right. Then again, I said that about vegan when I was vegetarian, and, and here I am you vegan could, now. I mean, you could do big salads or something. You could, you know, you could have extra vegetables or things that you might not normally eat, but it could still be a raw meal, right, I would imagine. Right. Definitely. Like, a big salad would definitely work. And I should have mentioned that before, that uh, you are supposed to eat a pound of leafy greens a day on this diet because there are a bunch of minerals and things in there that just you're not going to get from fruits. Uh, and that's another concern of mine. It's like how all these things that I was worried were lacking on a vegan diet, uh, not all, but like iodine is one you kind of got to keep an eye on if you're not using regular table salt. Um, B12, of course. That's something that I'm still taking a supplement for. But I just feel like now that this vegan diet is so much more limited and now a lot of the fatty acids are gone, these things that kind of used to be concerns for me that I would just pay attention to, now that those concerns are even more. So... I don't know. The people who do this, a lot of them, like Tim Van Orden, I believe, says he doesn't uh, take a, a B12 supplement because he has a farm up in, I think it's New Hampshire, and grows most of his stuff, and he just doesn't wash his produce, and he believes that kind of just by running around this farmland where there's lots of dust in the air during the summer, uh, that he's that he's breathing in the bacteria that have the B12 in the soil and all that. And it, because it's soil that hasn't been totally sterilized, and you know, it's organic soil, uh, that it's still in there. And, and a lot of these people believe that you can get it from dirty produce. I'm just not ready to buy that, but glad to have, you know, been exposed to these sort of ideas. Right. So the other the other red flag for me that I'm sure that some of the listeners will, will raise or question as well, it, one of the big reasons for me to go vegetarian and ultimately vegan was uh, my environmental concerns of the traditional diet. I don't know. It seems like kind of to throw that out the window or counter the, the traditional vegan diet. Um, because, you know, if you're importing all these bananas and all these fruits, like dragon fruits and all this stuff that definitely is not growing in the mountains of North Carolina, um, you know, how do you, is that a concern? I mean, I I mean, I don't know. Is that something you're thinking about at all? Well, I mean, I, I I'll be honest, I've, I've written this before, but like the environmental thing was not, I just, I wasn't even on my radar when I decided to start eating vegetarian and then vegan. It never, I mean, just for whatever reason that has never, maybe I just haven't read the right stuff or been exposed to the right stuff, but I've never really... Um, I don't know, cared about the environment, <laughs> to put it lightly. Maybe that's why you don't want to run around mountains. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it might be. I, I, I didn't think, start thinking about the environment until until I kind of started running and, like, just became a little bit more mindful of surroundings. And I, I can appreciate the outside. But I used, to, I used to say I was an indoorsman who just would much prefer to be inside than out. So, really, the environmental thing had very little to do with it for me. Of course, the animal side of it did. Like, the, the real reason for me to go vegetarian and then vegan uh, was was animal stuff. Like I just felt wrong about eating animals. So it was it was very much an ethical thing. So anyway, what what you're saying sounds entirely right. That that this is not local stuff. I mean, I think I think the book encourages you to buy local produce and do that sort of thing. But he's he made some arguments in the book saying like some people I guess uh, their objection to this is yes, but you were supposed to eat kind of local to where you are like like you're healthier for eating not just local food because it hasn't been trucked and all this but like for some reason that that because you're local because this food's growing in the same region you are somehow it becomes a part of you and your body then needs that food that's like if you're in a cold climate you need cold climate food he basically throws all that out the window 
Um, and this is funny. A lot of the people there at the food front, like there was a, a talk about how do you manage to move yourself to Hawaii so that you can eat this? <laughs> and like, and like, it was really like several people I talked to were like, yeah, I'm trying to move myself down to the tropics. Wow. Uh, yeah. People are really serious about it. And Arnstein, he, he moved from New York city to Hawaii so that he could get better fruit. And, uh, I think it's so different. So I think what you can do is, is move somewhere like that. And then you actually are eating locally and you're doing it. So I guess that's the answer. If you really want to do it correctly, you can move there and right. then you can eat locally and still be doing this. But, uh, I think you're totally right. Like, of course there's so much, shipping of stuff in that uh you know it's it's not an economically or environmentally friendly thing and that's that's a good point i hadn't really even thought about that because it's something it's, I, I think about that stuff very little so i'm glad you brought that up yeah well cool well you know i was i was uh talking to your wife a few minutes ago before we started this thing and i asked her what the next steps were and she said i don't know wait and see what what matt says in the podcast so what <laughs> what are your plans for the next uh you know moving forward are you going to keep doing this you know, right now I'm enjoying it enough that I don't have any plans to stop. I think what I will do is kind of gradually push myself to where I'm doing it mostly full time and like, you know, maybe one meal a week I'm not doing it and just kind of continue treating it as an experiment, but give it a fair shake at like really doing it. And that means not drinking the one beer every night that I'm still having. And, you know, a few nights where I've been totally raw, I've, I've skipped it. But other nights I've, I've been totally raw all day and then had it because, like, this is my little reward I'm kind of clinging to. Um, but, you know, I'd like to just really try it full on and kind of along the same lines or as part of that experiment. That's why I really want to run another ultra. Like, I haven't really been that inspired to go train for another 100 just because it was, I don't know, it was a big thing to do that, as you know. But um, hearing my garnishing talk and then just feeling great on this diet and kind of feeling excited and maybe being around all these fit people who are talking about running for a week. It just made me like really want to do another one and see if, if what my garden scene reported, if I could experience any of that, like if the, and by the way, every time, like on my blog, if you look at the comments of somewhere, I wrote a post about uh, that we were going to this fruit festival and a bunch of people either emailed me or commented on the blog post. It may have been all emails, but, and then said like, I used to do that fruitarian diet and the recovery on it was incredible. So these are people who, who had for some reason or another stopped doing it. So they're not like total, you know, buy-in evangelists for the diet, but still could look back and say, yes, you know, sort of neutrally disinterested. This, this helped my recovery a whole lot. So I'm really interested to see that and just kind of curious how that will treat running. And I think like Mike Arnstein, his racing weight, he said is 117 pounds which is so small. And I would, I just can't imagine, I don't know, walking around at that weight. I would just, I would just feel like I was being a very bad example of, of a person on a vegan diet. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't want to, even if I'm strong, I think people would see someone that skinny and be like, well, it's because it's because you're not getting enough protein. Even if they don't have any idea that, that, you know, you're able to run a hundred miles. I don't know. I, I just can't really imagine myself doing that. And that's kind of my worry is that with the fitness and recovery gains, uh, will come more weight loss. And it'll be a good thing in that like I'm getting stronger as a runner because strength to weight ratio is going up. Strength is not, you know, probably gaining strength, losing weight. But then to a regular person, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not, if I were running at Mike Arnstein's level where I were trying to win races and that was my thing and I was building a career out of being an ultra runner, of course that's not even his career, but building up, like my legacy was was being a top level ultra runner. Then it's probably worth walking around at 117 pounds. But like, for me, who's not at all that kind of guy, I don't know. I, that would be that would be difficult for me. Yeah, no, I definitely understand that. But I'm also really curious to 
I'm, I, I hope that you train for something, you know, be it a, a hundred or, or just another marathon. Uh, cause I'm really curious to, to see how your body reacts to the diet as you're training and, and through recovery, you know, I mean, I think both of us have seen great improvements on our recovery period, um, after going vegan, uh, you know, and I just imagine that it could be so much even better. I don't know. Yeah. I'm really excited. That's exactly what I feel like. And, and like, it's, it's from hearing Mike Arnstein so much talk about this and how much it did for him. Uh, and that's one person, of course. But there are plenty of, of people who, who really do rave about what this diet has done for them. Um, so that's exactly what I'm really excited about. It, because it is a really drastic change, even from a vegan diet, which before I'd really thought of this, I felt like this was kind of the very best I could be doing for my recovery. And maybe it is. But, um, you know, the fact that there's another diet that is a really drastic change from that, you know, vi- totally different philosophy from that, still vegan, of course, uh, that's interesting to me. That 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 might... You know, there just might be sort of this unlocked potential that is that is there to be discovered if you're willing to do this, uh, because from just from cooked to raw is is pretty drastic change. By yeah. the way, I should mention that like we we are really enjoying the actual eating of. It. I was concerned that that like by lunchtime I would not want any more fruit. Like I just I would want salty stuff with some fat in it and just kind of be craving that. But that was true for the first three days, and then after that it just kind of like by the time if I can go eat a whole pineapple for for lunch or three mangoes that is just has become delicious so i'm still kind of like i'm a big salt eater and haven't had very much at all i still want that at dinner time it'd be nice to have the warm meal that has some salt and some oil in it but it's it's not been bad like it's been drink one of those those banana smoothies and then eat a huge salad with some kind of like i don't know mango and tomato dressing it's just like a blended up mango and tomato and you make a dressing and it's okay. It's not. It's not great by any means, but it, you get filled up with the fruit, and then you eat the salad, and that kind of gets the savory side satisfied. And I don't know. It, it's working so far. Uh, listening to you talk about the salt made me think of something. What about electrolytes when you're when you're working out when you're sweating out all the all your salt? You know, I know during for me during um, long ultras, I'll even take salt tablets. Um, yeah. So um, I've mentioned the book Waterlogged a few times. When I was training for the hundred, I blogged about it a few times, and the whole idea in that book, which I really like, I don't, I don't know for sure. I haven't done enough ultra running to really say whether it's valid or not, but is that you should drink just to thirst. We have all these ideas that we have to get this many ounces per hour, when in fact, if you just really listen to your body, and, and I don't mean just like holding a, a handheld bottle and drinking when you feel like it, but really paying attention and saying, am I thirsty or am I just putting this bottle to my mouth because I'm holding it? Like if you're in a bar, it's just you just keep drinking because you're you're holding a beer there. So if you really listen and really just drink to thirst, I mean, your body should know what to do by, I mean, most most vegans, people who are into this whole food eating would agree with that premise, that, that your body's a lot smarter than most scientists who are telling you what to eat. Right. So if your body's running a long distance, it should kind of know how to handle that, knows how much water to drink. And if you're drinking water in the correct amount, which is far less than most people do, according to this guy, I think his name is Tim Noakes, who wrote the book, uh, then then you need you don't need to worry about the salt. Your, your body will, first of all, you're having way less water that's going to be there to dilute the salt. And apparently your body is just so much better when it's not flooded with water at regulating the sodium in cells. And I don't pretend to know how all that works, the chemistry of it, but... The idea was that if you're not taking all this water, then basically the salt thing is not a big issue. Even if even if you're already not eating nearly mu- as much salt? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, he the, the tests that he cited and, and did here, I think, were on 
pretty typical people eating a typical diet and probably having 3,000 milligrams of sodium a day instead of probably 500, which is what you get from, from food if you don't add any salt to it. So I don't know, but I would think just, just kind of along this, these arguments that I've heard that if, if you were, if, if the fruitarian diet is truly closer to nature, then I would think the effect would just be even stronger in the right direction, right? Like, so like if you're not, not taking in way too much water while you're running and your typical day's diet for many weeks leading up to the race or months or more is what's also the most natural. If it is, I'm not, not asserting that it is, then it seems like, you know, the, the, your body knows what to do answer is, is even more applicable then. And that's kind of what Mike Arnstein said. He said he doesn't take in that much salt. So his body just really knows what to do. And he said, I asked him about, cause he ran bad water and I asked him how the heat was like, did he do any special training? And he said, no, I just really didn't do anything. I feel like my body, because there's not all this junk in there, because I don't need all this salt anyway, my body knows how to sweat and how to handle heat. And he said, yeah, it was hot, but it wasn't anything that was like, you know, uh, you had to build your training plan around. He said, it was just, you know, I'm great in the heat because my body is is efficient at, at doing this because of the diet is what he says. Right. Interesting. All right. It is interesting. Yeah. I don't, and I, I don't know. I think Mike Arnstein, I think he said he takes energy gels because he said he's not in this thing to prove a point that a raw diet is the best he wants yes he wants to get people onto it but he said what he wants to do is win races and he's doing the very best things he can do to win races by the way he's not running competitively anymore he i think he's talking about making a comeback sort of thing but he hasn't been training for any serious hundreds i think in in over a year now but anyway he said like he's gonna do what he thinks gives him the best chance of winning and for him that means sometimes eating energy gels instead of dates because you know dates are great for for long runs of course they're kind of like an energy gel but he says there's just too much fiber to do that for an ultra marathon so an energy gel which is made for that specific purpose is nothing he would eat as part of his regular diet but if that on race day gives him the best shot of winning then he's going to eat it that of course has the added sodium to it so he's not taking in no extra sodium um so i I think you would you know you probably would still want to think about your sodium strategy And, and that waterlog thing says you don't need any but even then I think someone who actually tested it, this was on irunfar.com, by the way, and we can link to those articles, but someone uh, who wrote for them tested out the, the theory, I think it was during Western States, and he said the hydration thing worked great. He loved that idea of only drinking to thirst, but at some point, I think, I think 50K into the race or so, he said he started to really drag, and he had brought along these salt or tablets or something kind of as a just-in-case, and he said he, he decided to take them, and when he did so much improved which could be psychological or something else or it could be totally legitimate so i don't know so i'm not really sure about the whole salt thing or even the water thing but that's those are kind of how the arguments are on either side very nice well this is this is fun (laughs) yeah it is fun and i i'm again i hope i don't sound like i'm just like have bought into that because this is this is i would say the most out there diet i've tried like i tried the uh you know the this was back when I was vegetarian, not yet vegan. I tried the vegetarian paleo thing, and some people said, "Like, oh, that's crazy! You shouldn't be doing that." Um, but that that was pretty mainstream. I mean, paleo is a super popular mainstream diet, so a vegetarian version of that, while a little challenging to construct, isn't out there. And then I tried the Dr. Furman's Eat to Live thing, and that that to me is kind of between this eighty ten ten and the vegan diet that I typically eat just because it has less fat than is typical, more raw food than is typical, still has plenty of cooked food in it, of course, but not a lot of sodium. Um, so, I mean, Eat to Live was a, was a best, probably is still a bestseller, a New York Times bestseller. 
So that's that's not out there. That's pretty mainstream too. Eighty ten ten, as far as I know, is not any kind of bestseller, not on many <laughs> people's radar. It was it was I think kind of went virally popular in the past few years, but didn't really. I don't know. It's just, it's just not a mainstream thing. So I I fully expect and understand why someone would say Matt has gone crazy and is now, you know, gone too far with with trying this. And and that's why I just want to point out like I'm. I'm in this to try stuff. I, I like being trying to be as fair as possible, not trying to defend the diet. And I can give you the arguments that I've read for it. But like I said, I'm not trying to – like I haven't done it long enough. I don't really know. And uh, I think it's quite possible that it could work for someone and not for someone else. So just saying it has worked great for my garden scene and these other people doesn't mean it's great or that I'm recommending it. But I can say that we're having fun. I really like what it has done, at least to my energy level and kind of how I'm thinking and feeling, like emotionally. It's just, I don't know. I just like it. There's a challenge. There's an emo- you definitely notice the emotional attachment to food because when there's, I noticed this when I had done like juice type of fast before, when there's no cooked dinner at night, you realize like at some point in the afternoon, you realize there's, I'm not going to get that warm comfort feeling tonight. And then it's like, so what am I left with? Well, I'm just left with my normal feelings that are in my head and everything else that went on in the day. I have to kind of process that on my my own rather than eating this huge meal and just being happy and forgetting about it. Right. So it's it's definitely a neat thing, and that's what I mean. Like the whole head part of it, I'm really enjoying. Just the thinking, the the feeling of it. Uh, I don't. I have no idea. I don't like that I'm losing weight. That's not been fun, but but I think that's kind of expected at first, and uh, will change. But who knows? So I will definitely be giving some updates. I'll probably write a blog post about this, uh, or maybe another podcast later on. You know, once I have some actual results to report so yeah, we will see i think in a couple of weeks we should check back check back in and, and see how things are going for you we definitely will so uh we've gone almost an hour here which is way longer than usual doug anything about uh your trip let's just shift i mean i don't know what I, i'm curious to hear a little more we haven't really talked about it yet but i i found the fast packing thing that you did several months ago uh fascinating even if not something that, like is, is my thing i think i think someone can listen to someone talk about a hundred miler and say I would never want to do that. It doesn't sound fun at all, but it's still fascinating. And that's kind of how I am with with a fast packing thing and, and with this, where it's like, it's still really interesting that you would go do this. So I'm just curious to hear like what I don't know. Would you would you carry all your food with you, or did you have places where you could go? You had internet and stuff, right? Yeah, no. So this this was different. Uh, last fall, uh, with actually these same two guys, uh, we did uh, the fast packing in Chino National Park. We did 100 and two miles over three days where we carried everything with us except for some food we were able to pick up at convenience stores. Um, but this trip was was different. We stayed in a condo uh, in Vail with a hot tub <laughs> every night. Um, and then during the day, we would go out. We'd leave early in the morning, around 3.30, 4.30 in the morning, um, depending on where we were going. And, and we had picked out a few different routes that highlighted a few uh, really cool aspects of the, of the Colorado mountains. And... Um, just went out and had long days. We carried everything with us for that day uh, and, you know, purified our water on the trail and, and that kind of thing. But um, we were going back to our home base. So it was a lot of fun. It was um, some really hard days. Most of most of the run was above, most of all the runs were above 10,000 feet, which is new to me. Um, I'd, I've been above 12,000 maybe once or twice in my life, but certainly never to do any sort of exercise. So to be running at mile 22 over a 13,000 foot, you know. I meant to ask you about that when you posted a picture. And you posted some beautiful pictures, by the way, on Instagram of, of some of the scenery. But one of them you said that this whole run was over 12,000 feet. And I was – because I know when I did a Colorado Springs thing and it was like at 8,000, I was – I could definitely tell that I was not at 2,000 anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Could you? Oh help? yeah. Oh big time. Yeah. Oh yeah, huge. Uh, the first day I had um, some major headache problems. We stayed at. Uh, it was we were in the flat top mountains in Colorado, um, and so you're running kind of along a, a flat mountain. Basically, it's kind of like a ridge, but you're actually at the top of the mountain, and it was all above um, twelve thousand feet. And after about an hour, my head was just pounding. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but other than that, you know, we were able to go down, you know, as long as you sleep lower then you're generally okay. So we were sleeping at, at 8,000, which is still really high, um, right. but lower than 12,000. Yeah. You know, I definitely had problems and, 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 you know, when we were cresting over, over passes or over mountaintops, um, you know, one point, uh, on the last day I was about almost done. So about 25 miles into the 28 mile loop and you had the last, climb before you descended down to where we parked um and it was it was around thirteen thousand feet and i was just huffing and puffing so bad it was i was having to convince myself to really take 10 steps before i could stop and catch my breath and then just take 10 more <laughs> i felt like i was climbing everest or something like that, you know, right, right but it was you know it was part because i was tired and i hadn't i had some stomach issues i wasn't being able to eat very many calories uh, but mostly i think because of the altitude and i think the altitude probably caused those stomach issues as well um, you know, but it was that to me that added the element of adventure to it, and um, it was fun. You know, the mountains are are totally different at at you know twelve thirteen thousand feet than they are where we live at, at yeah, three or four thousand sure. feet. Yeah. Right. Uh, interesting. That is that is really neat. Um, I I would have when I got headaches, I would have like called an ambulance and said I was. <laughs> I, I don't. That's I, maybe I'm too scared. That's maybe that's why I'm not that much into the mountain running. It's like I'm too scared of dying from something. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there, an ambulance isn't going to come. It would have taken a, a full right. on sure. uh, uh, rescue effort to to get you out there. Um, right. And that was the other thing. It's just it was so rugged out there, and the weather changed so quickly. And um, you know, I'm sure that some people who run those mountains all the time are going to kind of laugh at me. But uh, you know, it was it was totally different than uh, you felt way more exposed and way more sure at mercy of the of the mountains than than we are out here right. which was which was a lot of fun and i wrote all about it on, on my blog rocketgrunner.com you can check out um a post i put up earlier this week about that and, and see some pictures there cool all right well i doubt too many people listening to this are laughing at you i mean i i, I tend to do the same thing i start to think that like everyone is you know, when I talk about my hundred mile, that everyone's gonna say, "Well, that was slow because you're supposed to, you know, you couldn't break twenty four hours." And you're <laughs> so like, but then you forget that like most people aren't aren't going out to Colorado to run. Most people aren't going anywhere to run. I mean, much less flying to a destination like that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, very cool, interesting, and uh, this has been fun. That we've gone almost full hour, so let's wrap it up now. Um, but this has been good, and we are going to be, as we said, trying to do more of these things. We've said that before, by the way, so don't don't take that as a as a guarantee but i think this time we mean it and i think uh i think you can expect about an episode a week for a little while hopefully more but uh i'm not really sure so anyway thank you all for listening check out the two things i mentioned again please the 5k roadmap that offer ends on monday september 8th uh it's nomeanathlete.com slash 5k dash roadmap and keep an eye out for the running groups because if you're in any kind of large city at all there's probably one coming to your city so if you don't keep an eye out on the website, at least keep your eye out on the sidewalk and just maybe you'll see the group pass. All right. On that note, let's end it. Uh, Doug, this has been fun. Thank you for doing this. And everyone, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right. Bye.